0: And so it was like, this cycle really has to stop because I'm asleep to my dream. I had left my full-time job to start a business, but I couldn't really pursue it on the way I wanted to do it because I was so sick I had
1: to make money just to pay medical bills. And it almost all went toward that. Welcome to the Money Without Shame podcast. I'm your host, Amy Schultz, and I'm here to tell you that the story you've been believing about yourself and money isn't true. You're not bad at money. In fact, you were set up for failure from a lack of healthy money conversations growing up to societal conditioning to an economic system that just wasn't made for women. That's why I'm on a mission to remove the shame that I know so many of you feel about your money and empower you to take back control of your financial future. Each week, my guests and I are going to explore the truth behind why money has felt so challenging using real stories from real women To reveal the external factors that influence our financial lives and offer a way to do and feel better about money without shame. You're not alone and it's not all your fault. Let's dive into today's episode. Welcome to the Money Without Shame podcast. I'm your host, Amy Schultz, and today I am joined by one of my earliest clients, Michelle Laufman, who has since become one of my really good friends. Michelle has an amazing story to share with all of you. So, Michelle, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're excited to share with us today? Yeah, sure.
0: So thanks for having me. Um, Yeah, so I like to say that I humanize businesses through the art of storytelling. And functionally, what that means is that I combine photography, writing and even video at times to help businesses be more relatable to their audiences by helping them be more vulnerable and what they're sharing. So it's
1: basically complementing their marketing by integrating storytelling. So. I love that. You can see why Michelle and I get along, because the vulnerability is something that we both see as, for sure, a superpower that brings out the best in people and also just makes room for everybody to, to have a better story. So, Michelle, tell me a little bit about, you know, when you and I started working together, you were going through a lot around money and you've Mm -hmm. had really a a long money journey that Mm -hmm. has some ups and downs and definitely seasons Mm -hmm. in it. So tell us your money story.
0: Yeah. So I
1: like to say that money stories happen
0: before we're often born. Mm -hmm. And I was reflecting on this, uh, this week and I thought, um, my money story probably started with, my immigrant family. Mm-hmm. Um, my great grandfather emigrated from Poland alone as a 13 year old boy. Wow. You know, young man, I should say, uh, with no parents. Um, my grandparents are all Great Depression survivors. My grandmother came over after World War II with with her family, including my mother, uh, after really surviving World War II under Hitler's regime, and she had almost starved to death. Mm. So when I think about money's story in my family, it has a lot to do with survival. Yeah. And so really, for me, money had a lot to do with um, scarcity and survival. And I understand completely why that was a language that my, uh, my grandparents and great-grandparents had to adopt. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, that means it's also the language that my parents adopted, and that's the language that I adopted So um, so I I grew up really with uh, the understanding that, you know, and also coming from an immigrant family, you know, you don't come with a whole lot. So it's hard to build wealth when you don't have much. It's all about just survival and finding work and then and just having somewhat of a marginally better life in the United States than you could have had in your oppressed country. Right. So Mm -hmm. they're, they're leaving war torn oppressed nations. So unfortunately, that kind of influenced our family for better or worse. Mm-hmm. My parents had three kids all under the age of five. They were very early in their marriage, and money was tight. Um, but the message around money was there's never enough, and it also felt like in order to be happy, we had to have money. And, and there's certainly a value exchange in, in having money to buy things you need. But as a child, I never really understood that we didn't have enough because I always felt like we had enough. We had food on the table. We were able to go to a nice school. We had money for clothes. Like we were able to buy the things we needed. But there was always this, um, I guess, this narrative that I had kind of adopted, whether it was subversively, you know, stated in my home or just, just the narrative around money in general, was that I was a burden. So kind mm-hmm. of the messages are um, kids cost a lot. Life just costs a lot there's never enough money and i i'm a burden because i cost money right i'm like having flashbacks <laughs> to our earliest sessions because right. i remember this so well now mm-hmm. yeah right and so and even today even as um you know i'm 43 years old and even in my business sometimes i have to catch myself and not to do that even with my clients because what i offer has a value exchange it yeah. literally has an roi to it And so basically that's, you know, flashing back to childhood, that's the narrative I adopted and that kind of haunted me throughout my career. And so I also equated burden with um, people pleasing. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be a burden. And so I just was like, don't rock the boat. So as I kind of moved into my seasons of learning or working as very young, uh, getting a paper route at, I don't know, 12 or 13, um, working through school and eventually going to college, I kind of always adopted this narrative of I'm going to have to just figure it out. And money's about survival and just getting through life. Yes. Right. So so I would work jobs, but I was always probably underpaid and I would undervalue what I brought to the mm-hmm. table. I was told to go to college, but I had to figure it out. So um, so it's kind of, you know, 17, 18, trying to figure out how to financially make the pieces work. And, and you know, I did. Um, but I always felt like the, the concept around money was just work enough, keep working harder and you'll just figure it out. But there's never really nothing left over marginally. Yeah. Right. And so when you don't have those margins, um, I think I remember just feeling a lack of something, even though as a child, I knew we had everything. I felt a lack of something as I got older while simultaneously understanding that money brought freedom and, um, and joy right yeah. and so I would struggle as I got into college with having my first credit card yeah right so like most of us do like we see those offers on campus it's really enticing um, and I was pretty good with the credit card at first because it was really more about um, establishing credit which I know I wanted to do in an early age but it became very tempting because then I could have dinners out with friends and and I could buy some clothes that I didn't really have the cash to pay for with this really part-time job that at the time I got paid, I think 525 an hour, like this was back in like the mid to late nineties. So um, for me, I could start to see the cycle of, um, well, I don't want to ask anyone for money if I actually need it, even if it's for things that would be um, practical, like maybe a little bit of travel, just some things that you should have that's not just the core living expenses, and yet, I would try to like fill those voids
1: with a credit card at a young age. When you think about the feeling that you're a burden, mm-hmm. right? If you mm-hmm. if you cost money, yeah. When you think about um, the feelings of scarcity, the survival that really carried through generations in your family, mm-hmm. how did that impact you specifically around money? When it yeah, when it comes to your career. Yeah. So I think for me, it
0: was, it was, um, uh, being a burden ultimately means don't ask for anything. Mm -hmm. Like I think about just the concept of a burden is like, you want to unweight that burden. And so as a result, I thought, well, me being a burden means I need to unweight everyone else from whatever it is that I'm asking from them. And so whether it was, um, just not asking for help financially or whether it was, going into the workplace and even in my business i was almost afraid to ask this i was thinking about this i was afraid to ask for money um, or to tell sometimes clients the price of my services Mm -hmm. even though that on my spreadsheet that's what it costs and part of what i do is photography it's a very expensive business Mm -hmm. to run you know one camera one lens alone can be up to three thousand dollars And so, you know, and and that equipment wears down. And so I'd be afraid to ask for what was a really a fair rate uh, because I was, I was thinking, I don't want to be a burden. Like they don't have the money to spend. Okay. But meanwhile, my clients like, (laughs) and and sometimes and the problem is I would also capitulate because I would have clients who would question the pricing. And when I look back, they, some of them were amazing clients and they were the right fit. And they wouldn't question it, but some of them weren't the right fit. Mm -hmm. And, And my desire to people please and not be a burden I would, um, like negotiate down. So, so, so I would, I would basically kind of either break even, or maybe even lose money on the job or not make much marginally, but they would come and they would leave their $4,000 home driving a $45,000 car carrying probably a $400 purse and, and they would want a discount on their photo shoot. And, um, you know what, that was, they value certain things in their lives, but I didn't value myself because I kept adopting the narrative of being a burden. But I don't know that I could have articulated it that well back then, but, um, but it's something I still like, I'm doing so much better, but it's something I still have to work through. I have to catch myself sometimes even now, but I have to remind myself that, um, there's a value exchange and sometimes that value exchange. And I, I think we were taught to be good girls. Yes, that's what I always think sure. of as as you were saying, I think and and first, what is the definition of good? right <laughs> like it's a very loose definition, yeah. so we're taught to be good girls, but but sometimes boys were taught to be very uh, risk takers, mm-hmm. be adventurous, and so I think we were taught and I think it again, it's just social conditioning, and I can't blame my mother was um had the luxury of being a stay at home mom, I think maybe rather unexpectedly having three kids very quickly right. out of the marriage but um but they had um so that kind of restricted us financially but it you know that was what women were supposed to do is stay home but she was in this weird stage being a boomer of having dreams and having the ability to go to college and she was a teacher so when when we were older she was able to work and have a second income so that really gave us freedom as a family more more things we could enjoy as a family like vacations yeah. but i was thinking that um I think in her generation, like a good girl would stay at home and take care of her yeah. husband. Yeah. And good girls don't negotiate in the workplace. Mm-hmm. You just you're this is the salary you offer. You should be thankful because it's also stemming off of the Great Depression generation. But they had uh pensions, they had all these things that companies are not providing right. anymore. And so, you know, I think our generation is this this micro generation of um we were told we can do anything. We were told to go to college, but we come out and we're confused as crap because we're like not sure how we're supposed to like go take the bowl by the horns and go get it. But we're supposed to be good girls at the right. same time. And the two don't go hand in hand. They kind of have, there's some friction there. And I think yeah. a lot of us don't know how to have, handle that friction as um, professionals uh, when we're dealing with our own childhood stuff yeah. or, or social pressures, social narratives, you know? So, oh my gosh. Yeah.
1: No, you put that so well. <laughs> it, it's like... I think of it as um, toxic gratitude, like, mm-hmm. oh, you have all these opportunities. You should be so grateful. Why are you asking for more? Yeah. Right. And I don't think it's the same with men. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's something that they're taught, but that's something that we're taught is like, oh, you get to. And I don't I don't I'm not sure where it stems from, but the it doesn't really matter because the fact is that it, it's impacting us in a lot of the ways that we don't negotiate or don't charge what, what we could be, and it's hard to work through. Right. Tell us about the moment when you realized that money was something that you wanted to, to seek help with.
0: Yeah, so um, there's a bit of a backstory. I had um, basically in 2018, you know, there's some circumstances that led up to us uh, meeting. Mm-hmm. 2018, I decided to leave a full time job. I had some work lined up, so I knew I was okay, I was safe. Um, in April of that year, my husband and I had bought a single-family home, so it was a second home, uh, had a rental property, so we, we felt like we were moving into a different phase of life. And um, within six months of me leaving my full-time job, I was in the hospital getting emergency blood transfusions mm-hmm. because my health had taking, taken an, an, just an epic dive. And um, I, I realized that um, the only way to get out of it was to seek an alternative track of medicine. So um, Western medicine is great for acute situations, like the blood transfusions were important, Mm -hmm. but the the long-term need was really through functional medicine. So the the best way to describe functional medicine is that they get to the root cause of an illness and they treat the whole person. It's a cash-based system. Mm -hmm. So um, really I was spending up to $3,000 a month Um, while I was exceptionally sick and I couldn't work enough to even make that much sometimes because I could hardly get out of bed. Mm -hmm. And so I had this whole season of really, I had a really nice nest egg saved up. I had $40,000 in my bank account, um, and my savings and I had gone through it so fast. And in the meantime, I was also, um, charging things on my credit card and I, um, couldn't ask my, my husband for help. So mm-hmm. we're married, and I'm like, I got it, I got it, got it, because in my mind, I kept thinking, one more month, I'm fine. One more month, I'm out of the clear. Well, it's been five years since yeah. that incident, and I'm still in, in the, the final legs of healing. But what I ultimately realized is um, the illness was going to prevent me from following my dream. The, basically, the illness connected to the financial loss. So I, I'd worked, you know, lost my savings. Um, I, I just, just could not see a way out, but I also knew that this was a money pattern that I was getting into trouble with. So because I was afraid and I didn't know how to navigate the health Mm -hmm. situation, um, I was kind of, I think spending some money on health things out of desperation versus maybe like taking a step back and seeing and just allowing myself to go through the pain and heal by stage. And if I'm being honest, I had unhealthy habits with money, you know, when I had my credit card in college It was fine, but I had to go into debt consolidation in my early 20s because I really wasn't paying attention to the details. And I couldn't understand why I was spending money out of impulsivity um, on things that I thought I needed. And so it was like this cycle really has to stop because I'm asleep to my dream. I had left my full time job to start a business, but I couldn't really pursue it on the way I wanted to do it because I was so sick. I had to make money just to pay medical bills. And it almost all went toward that. And so I remember talking to, and I was trying to think of when we talked in this journey, cause it would have been about what March, you said March of 2020. I think so. I think it was like right around that time. Pandemic. I mean, right. Yeah. So, um, so at that point it was just like too many things mm-hmm. in my life. And I realized that I didn't have a healthy mindset around money. I kept getting into these bad unhealthy cycles with it. I hated money. I I hated everything that money meant even in my family because it usually revolved around fighting. Yeah. There was a lot of shame um, put on me about money and then I was just shaming myself around money. And so I looked at money as something I hated and yet I needed it to to do the dreams that I had for my yeah. life. And so really that was, and I can't even remember how I found you. <laughs> I don't, but I remember thinking, the thing that made you different was that you got into the emotional component of yeah. money. And so I never had a hard time budgeting. Did I do it? Eh, I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, I kind of thought, eh, you know, budgeting is one thing, but sometimes when you know you're spending more than you're making because it's an emergency. Right, there's not th- There's not what, much you can What can do. I do? But yeah. I didn't understand that this is also seasonal and that yeah. money can come back and it's a renewable resource. Um, but for me, it was just desperation. And I was like, you know, the Ramsey method's one thing, but um, but if we don't talk about the emotions and, like, the feelings behind it, like, we're, I'm right back to square one. Right. And I kind of felt like I tried all these things. And I thought, I must just be an idiot because I don't understand how I can manage clients' budgets. But I can't manage my own. Like, how, how am I not getting this right? And so that's really where it started. So that's a long-winded way of saying that it, it honestly took, um, like, a near-death experience mm-hmm. for me to finally say, um, you know, my body's falling apart. I have this complex health situation, it's costing a lot of money. I think my dream is dead,
1: but I don't know how to fix it. Help. Yeah. You know. Uh, thank you for sharing all of that. And there's there's a few things that stood out to me about what you said. The first is that I wish what you said about money being like a renewable resource mm-hmm. and that it comes back. There's so many women who that I've met who have health challenges that mm-hmm. have led to, for whatever reason, it's not medical debt, it's credit card debt, mm-hmm. you know, things that they where insurance wasn't going to cover it or they right. weren't able to to um put the bill into collections or something to where it feels like that's the end. Like that's just how it's always going to be. and there is there is another side of that, and your proof of that. So first of all, thank you for sharing that. And second, secondly, when you had mentioned, um, you know, when you talk about your spending and your your credit card debt, and then all the way through, like, you know, being in debt again because of the the medical emergency, to me, there's no better example of doing the best that you could with what you had at the time and what you knew at the time. Mm-hmm. Because so much of that is about you didn't see good money patterns. You didn't learn about good money patterns. Nobody told you all of that. So how the hell would anybody have known, oh my gosh, I have, to, I have to figure out how to get past this feeling that I'm a burden. I have to figure out how to charge my worth and make enough money and feel okay asking my husband for help when I'm going through this really hard medical thing. Mm-hmm. So to me, that whatever debt you had took on is a sign that you did exactly what you were trained to do, which is survive on your own without asking for help. And I think that's the piece where if we could teach more more women to understand that a lot of times the debt that they have, the things that they view as like mistakes or I didn't do this well enough, it's really them doing exactly as what they were conditioned to do and doing it really damn well <laughs> Right. because they're still here and they're surviving and they're making it through. Agreed. So, What would you say to somebody who is feeling shame around having debt, whether it's because they view it as like their mistakes or it's because of a medical thing? What would you want them to know?
0: Yeah. So I'd say first, um, show yourself some grace. Yeah. Uh, I wish I wish I had shown myself more grace earlier. I would say don't be afraid to ask for help, too. Uh, I remember you and I had talked because we, we had to start to go into like debt consolidation. Mm-hmm. I remember having to tell my husband, Mike, that I had credit card debt. I think it was like 25,000, yeah. which was really scary, you know, and for for my husband, he's a very, he's very good with money. Um, and I, I remember thinking, oh, he's going to divorce me because yeah. I'm, you know, and even having that conversation, I even thinking about now, I'm almost sick to my stomach, yeah. but he's such a loving, kind, generous person and I think he was more upset that I didn't ask him for help right. when I needed it. You know, I think he was like, let's just figure this out and let's figure out how we cannot get into these patterns again. And so I'm really grateful for that. But I wish I would have had the just the strength and the courage to ask for help. So I would encourage other people to, you know, to again, to show some grace to ask for help. Also to remember that what's now is not permanent. Mm. I think um, as I get older, I have seen the cycles of pain and restoration a lot in life and very few things are permanent. Uh, I would say even debt, you know, there's, there's usually
1: a way out of something um, and, and we can get there. Thank you so much, Michelle. Is there anything that you wish that you could have said to your younger self Mm -hmm. when you, when you were going through this journey, whether it was just out of college or when you were on this medical journey that you would want your younger self to know. Oh boy, this is this.
0: I always like choke up when people
1: ask yeah. me these questions because <laughs> I feel like
0: my younger self was just this sweet, innocent girl that had, um, was is and still is very intelligent, but just really needed the cheerleader in her life. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying. What would I say to her? Um, I would say to little Michelle, <laughs> value yourself and use your voice. Yeah. I think at a very young age, I was lear- I, I, I learned that it's just better to be quiet and that valuing myself also means understanding what I'm bringing to the table. And that is um, wisdom. It is also kindness. It is love. And it's also a lot of intelligence. And so if I could tell her that um, she should fight for herself harder. I think that might've helped me a little bit more, but it's never too late. It, you know, it doesn't matter if you're 80 or eight, um, it's not too late to change. And thankfully we can do that in a season and live life with, with no regrets. So I'm glad I have enough maturity now to, yeah, yeah. Yeah. To, I think to fight harder and, and, you know, and, uh, let life, um, not kick me in the pants so much. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like it's okay. Yeah. You know, like, like there's always a season for something, and those seasons are very temporary, and very few things are not renewable. Yeah. You know, so
1: yeah. amazing. Thank you yeah. so much, Michelle. It was wonderful welcome. to have you. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Ready to experience money without shame? Then come follow me at Amy Schultz Money Coach for daily inspo on Instagram. I am truly grateful to be on this journey with you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Want to be featured on a future episode or have your own money story to share? Send it to moneywithoutshame at gmail.com. See you next time.